Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. I want to invite you to find a Bible and to turn, first of all, this morning to Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5. That's page 975, page 975. As Will said, we're beginning a new series. We started just last week on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Looking at the whole of Galatians 5, this morning we're looking at the first of the fruit. And our main passage is going to be 1 John chapter 4 this morning. So two Two parts of the Bible for you to find. Galatians 5, first of all, very briefly, and then 1 John. But please keep a finger in Galatians. We will be coming back to parts of it as well together. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. But... But the contrast with all that comes before in verses 20 and 21, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now let's turn to First John, John's first letter, and I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 7 to the end of the chapter. You'll find that on page 1023, 1023, if you're flicking forward just a bit. What is this love that is the fruit of the Spirit? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen. Some of the things that we do naturally are hard to do well. Wouldn't you agree? Some of the things we do naturally are hard to do well. Some things that you don't have to give a moment's thought to, you just do them. Those things are hard to perfect. Think about it. We enter the world as crying babies. From the very moment we're born, we're crying, hungry for food, desperate to be fed. That desire to be fed is natural. It came without a moment's thought. But to eat well is actually hard, isn't it? Think about it for a moment. Left to our own devices, what would we eat and drink? Sugar? Sweets? Coke? Alcohol? We would take, wouldn't we, whatever feels good immediately and hang the consequences for tomorrow. Something we do naturally, eating, takes a process of wisdom and education and restraint in order to learn how to do it well. What about this one? Love. Love. Is that easy to do? Is it easy to love well? Just think again about that new baby born into the world. The parents in that moment, the parents are overwhelmed with love, aren't they? And the child grows to love back in return. The child loves and adores their parents. And yet, what would we all say? Well, I was trying to think of the year. 18 years later? Is it easy to love well? Parent-child relationships, they all know pain somewhere down the line, don't they? We often hurt the most at home because it is the place of the most intense love. And all our own failings and foibles and insecurities and inadequacies, they kind of get magnified in our warped ways of loving, don't they? We manipulate one another. We coerce, we rebuke. And all of a sudden, many of us in this room today would say, do you know what, to be honest, loving is actually complicated. Loving well is hard. And out we go into the world, marriages, workplace relationships. It becomes that young child who's grown up. It becomes that young child's turn now to love others well out there in the world. Do, do they know how to do it well? For better, for worse, a young couple say, that's love, yes, but how do you do it? And for believers, for us as Christ's people this morning sitting in church, there is a whole other level, isn't there? Churches, our church families, a place of love. Many of us, I think, have had experiences, haven't we, in one way or another of how Christian people have failed to love us well. Maybe you know it's true of yourself towards others. 
You have not loved as you know you should have. You have not received the love you feel you should have. Love in the church is one of the most crucial things to ever get right. I've called this sermon series, You Can Change. You can change. I want you to change. Paul is telling the Galatian Christians that that's why the fruit of the Spirit comes in chapter 5 because he's pleading with them, longing with them, admonishing them, saying, I want you to change. I I want who you love and how you love and what you love and why you love. I want it to be different. How do you change? Friends, Paul gives us in Galatians a very, very clear statement. I want you to flick back to Galatians. If you haven't had that, um, if, you've, if you've lost it, go back to Galatians. And Galatians chapter 4. How do you change? Here's what Paul says. You do it, chapter 4, verse 19. You do it, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's how you change. Christ being formed in you. It's it's an amazing image, isn't it? Childbirth is all about longing to see, to meet the new person at the end of the process. And Paul says it's it's a bit like that for me with you Galatians. I'm, I'm longing that after all this work, all this ministry, this preaching, this teaching, all of this painful relating to you Galatians, I'm longing that at the end of it I will take you in my arms and I'll just look down at you. And I'll say, you look so like Christ. You look so like the Lord Jesus. It's what we say, isn't it, about the little child all the time. People say, you're the image of your dad. There's the look of your mother about you. See what Paul is saying in Galatians 4? Imagine someone looking at you and saying, you are the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. His character is your character. Wouldn't that be beautiful? But look what, look what Paul says in that verse. Verse 19, I am again in the anguish of childbirth. The, the, the delivery of that new person is not easy, is it? L- labor is not lovely, right? Y- you sweat. You cry. You bleed. He says, comfortably, is the male of the species. You know, know, in childbirth, when it's all over, and the midwife says in the delivery room, the midwife says, would you like tea and toast? I'm the one that puts up his hand and says, says, brown bread, please. No, I, I, I don't know what that's like. But I do know what it is like to be in anguish for some of us in this room this morning longing, longing for Christ to be formed in us. I've never given birth, but I do know what it is like to shed tears as a precious child of the family says, do you know what? Do you know what? I'm just going to press pause on the Christ being formed in me project. And instead, I'm just going to work on the me project. I'm just going to go over here and graze for a while. A relationship choice. A money choice. A sin I'm going to nurture choice. 
Oh, I know what it's like to be so upset at my own sin that I wonder how could anybody ever see Christ in me? That's what Paul is getting at here. That's his longing. That is the fruit of the Spirit, you see. Christ being formed in me and you. It's not an abstract idea. It's not, a, it's not an airy-fairy idea. It is a concrete picture. And it looks like Christ's love. That's the first way it takes shape. It looks like Christ's joy next in my life. It, next, it looks like His peace in my life. His patience in my life. Friends, if you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life to be the love of the Spirit, it needs to be Christ's love. It needs to be His definition of love, His view of love, His kind of love. It's no surprise, is it, that love heads the list in chapter 5, verse 22. For Look at chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But what are these Galatians doing? But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love. For God is love. So I want us to look at 1 John this morning. 1 John is a place where we have the most beautiful, profound meditation on what God's love given to us, shown to us, grown in us actually looks like. 1 John is a letter that has three tests for every Christian. There is, first of all, the theological test. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, God Himself come in the flesh, true God, true man. It's a theological test. Secondly, in 1 John, there is a moral test. Do you keep God's commands? Thirdly, there is the social test. Do you love your brothers and sisters? Do you love your brothers and sisters? One of those tests is not enough. Saying yes to one of them is not enough. Yes to two of them is not enough. Each time to miss one of them off the list is to destroy the validity of your claim to any of the others. It's powerful, isn't it? Somebody says, I've been to seminary, I've been to Bible college, I've got the degree on the wall. And John says, yes, but you do not love your brothers. Then your orthodoxy is no orthodoxy at all. We want to love others well, don't we? We want to excel in it. We want to be known for it. We want it to be what marks out Trinity Church as a family. I hope that's what you want to be marked out by this morning. Not, not by size, not by services, not by music, not by dynamism, not by youth work, not even by our building down the road one day. No, known for our love. Our love. Ah, people say about Trinity Church, they're, they're not perfect. I've been there. I can tell you they're not perfect. But they love one another. They love one another. They're Christ's family. They speak with His accent. They have His gait when they walk. They act with Christ's mannerisms. Their habits come from His character formed in them. So what does Christ's love look like? How do you get it? I want to show you five things this morning about the fruit of Christ's love. If you want your love to change, here's what you need to know. Number one, number one, love copies. Love copies. In other words, real love, 
The kind of love that the Spirit grows in all our lives is plagiarized love. It it is imitated love, copied love. It's unoriginal love. See it so clearly in verse 7, beloved, let us, 1 John 4 verse 7, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John knows that for us to love like Jesus, that love cannot find its origin in us. It has to begin somewhere else. It comes from God. I remember reading years ago Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, New York Times bestseller. And in that book, Tim Keller says, look, most people have this kind of casual idea that all religions have at their heart the idea of a loving God. All religions basically believe the same thing, that God is love. And Keller says, no, they don't. In that book, Keller investigates each one of the world religions and discovers that only in Christianity do we find that love is the ruling dominant attribute of God. Only in Christianity. Our love derives from somewhere else. It comes from somewhere else. Friends, you you will run out of resources to love. One day, somewhere, with somebody, unless you learn that the love you need to show does not come from you. It doesn't come from deep within, gritting your teeth, closing your eyes, trying to dredge it up. You might be able to do that for a while. But eventually, with someone, somewhere it will run out. They will dry it up. You will have nothing left. When you realize how difficult they are to love. See how strong John is? It's not just that, look at verse 8, it's not just that God possesses love as a quality. No, love is the essence of the divine being. Father, Son, and Spirit together for all eternity. God is love. Together, before you and I ever existed, even as an idea or even before the world ever came to be, Father, Son, and Spirit existed in perfect harmony and in love for each other. Now here's what that means, friends. If God was love before there was ever a world to love, think about this. It means that God's love is not called into existence by what He creates. It's amazing, isn't it? You did not love your child until that child existed. No, God doesn't love us because of us. He loves us because of Him. So so when God acts towards creatures, it is because He is complete in Himself already. He's not moving towards you or me because He wants something or needs something from us. Now, I said just think about that because when you love or I love, is it that kind of love? Complete in myself, moving towards somebody else in total self-giving? Or is it something else? No, here is why love is a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of me. I I can't grow this kind of love. Do you know the words of the song, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. 
Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. Love copies. Number two, love bleeds. Love bleeds. It's true, isn't it, that philosophers tend to ask, what is love? It's a philosophy question. They try and unpick it and unravel it and take it apart. But the Bible never really asks, what is love? No, it asks instead, what does love look like? How will I know true love when I see it? Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was displayed, published, made manifest among us. How? That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Brothers and sisters, this morning, John says if you want to know what it means to love your church family, then you need to know what it means for God to love you. It means real flesh and real blood shed for you. God sent His Son. Do you notice the stress? Sent His only Son. And then He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice. That's what that word propitiation means. A, a sacrifice of atonement on the cross that averted the wrath of His Father. That, that absorbed it onto Himself that drank the cup of God's anger to its lowest dregs. Verse 9 and verse 10 say, God's love is substitute love. It is in my place love. Love cost. Love had a price. Love bled. It's an amazing thing to be asked to preach on 1 John chapter 4 at a wedding. Sometimes I've been asked to do this. It's a bit of a, a surprise to the wedding congregation, I guess, because people gather in a building like this. There's love, life, laughter, happiness in the air. And into a moment like that, words like this are read out loud. A couple choose to introduce death into a day of life. A happy day of love, and they ask for death to take center stage. It's an amazing thing to say to a starry-eyed couple on their wedding day that to say to each other, I do, are the two most famous last words. Isn't that right? The beginning of the end. For friends, this is the message of the Bible. The only way to find your life is to lay your own life down. The only way to find yourself is to give yourself to somebody else. And ma marriage is just one theater in which that happens. It's only one, but your house group is another one. 
Oh, your enthusiasm of clicking to sign up for week one is rather different at week five after you've discovered who else is in your house group. And as you've rubbed shoulders with them week in, week out, not just marriage, not just house groups, but rotas and elders meetings and finance meetings and round your breakfast table tomorrow morning and with your colleagues at work. Same old, same old, same old. For the good and the sake of others, love bleeds. Love bleeds. Number three, love begins. Love copies, love bleeds. Number three, love begins. Real love. Deep love, true love, acts first. It acts first. It always, always, always takes the initiative. Love starts. Did you hear it in what John said in verse 10? In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says it a few verses later. We love Him Because He first loved us. Do you see it? Love begins. It doesn't respond. It's the exact opposite of how we love, isn't it? When a young couple, couple of any age, fall in love, it's because they responded to something that they saw in the other person. Something caught their eye. They they liked the look of what they saw or what they heard. They saw something attractive and they responded with love. It wasn't hard. It didn't cost. That They saw something lovable that made them love. John is saying that is not how God loves. No, God looked down from heaven to us. He reached down, not because He saw something attractive or desirable in us. On the contrary, no, we were by nature His enemies. We, we were guilty sinners, repulsive to His perfect holiness, deserving only His judgment. And yet, this God, John says, this God of His own will and unprovoked by any external stimulus or attractiveness, so loved a lost and broken world that He gave His only Son. Well, I want to say it to us this morning as clearly as I can as we think about the fruit of the Spirit, as you maybe read those books that we're selling to go with the sermon series. I want to say it as clearly as I can. Our relationships will work and only work and will grow deep and be a source of the deepest delight to us when we learn to love like this. When we learn to love like this. When actually the things that we see around us are pretty unlovable And when there isn't much to like, and we give our whole being gladly anyway. Loving like this, it does not come naturally, does it? And we will lose our way at times. I want to encourage you this morning, friend, when you are hurt and angry and sore and afraid, start to love. Start to love. Be the first to say sorry. Be the first to start over. Love begins, it doesn't just respond. Be an initiator, not just a receiver. Be aggressively active with loving actions in the face of unloveliness, and you will love like God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that what John is saying? 
Be aggressively active with loving actions in the face of unloveliness and you will love like God. You will be like your Savior who loved you with love like this. Love begins. Number four, love draws lines. Love draws lines. John is saying that God is love, not that love is God. Isn't that what people say today? They get it the other way around. Not God is love. Love is God. Love is love. Love is whatever you feel it to be. Love is random. I can't explain it. I didn't choose it. It chose me. Somebody has said today that for many people, love is like a ditch. You don't notice it, and then you fall in it. It's just a thing. It's a force, a power that overwhelms you, an electric sensation that happens to you. No, says John, love is not a force field. Love is a way of relating to other people like the Lord Jesus did, which says some things are right and some things are wrong. Look at verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. The implication is that if anyone does not acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, God does not live in Him. See John drawing a line here? Maybe it's just a thin outline, a sketch there, a bit hazy. But just look back at the first six verses of chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Look at verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Do you see, John's loving care for his flock means that he will draw lines, and love draws lines. Love means that you say certain things are in and certain things are out. All religions are not the same. All religions do not lead you to God. John is saying in this letter, friends, even God's religion does not lead you to God when you keep only the outward form of it, but not the inward reality, which is love. Oh, lines matter. Listen to this. One one writer I read this week says this, Today, in our world, medical error is simply not tolerated. Sadly, theological error is. We do not sue doctors of theology if what they teach is false. We rarely take away a pastor's position if his sermons are unorthodox. We no longer burn heretics. While I am not arguing that we reinstitute that practice, I am of the opinion there is nothing so deadly in the entire world as theological error. Moreover, I believe there is nothing so unloving as theological error. What did the Lord Jesus say? It is better to have a millstone tied around your neck while swimming in the Mediterranean Sea than to teach a child that Jesus has not come in the flesh to die for our sins. Theological error is far more deadly than medical error. For theological error can be the loss of both body and soul. Love draws lines. Number five to finish. Love assures. 
Love assures. You want to know that you're in, don't you? It's it's the deep human longing. We want to know that we belong. And it is such a common question for Christ's people. Am I really yours, Lord? Sometimes I sit with Christian folk in my study asking me this. How do I know I'm really His? Have I gone too far this time? Have I painted myself into a corner? Am I I outside the kingdom? We, We tend to try and find the answer by going deeper, don't we, into ourselves, looking for counter evidence inside us that shows maybe we're not as bad as we thought we were. John here says you can find assurance you are part of Christ's family, not by going deeper in, but by going further out. Look at how you love others. Loving others is the assurance of belonging to God. Look at verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I wonder if you know this morning that many of our sins and failings are countered not by beating sin, but by loving others. Do you know that? Many of our sins and failings are countered. You get on top of them, not by beating sin, but by loving others. Put, put your phone away, turn off the internet, and cook a meal for friends. And you may not stumble into sin as much. That's what John is saying. Surrender your pride and ask for forgiveness and say you're sorry. And you might actually break the cycle of grudge holding that can go on for generations. Look look how John ends verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Is there anyone you hate today? See see what John is saying? Christian love. Christian love is as hands-on as Christ's incarnation and it is as hands-out as Christ's crucifixion. Our all for all. And so as I finish this morning, as we close, I want to try and put it all together very briefly in your own life. You and I this morning... You are battling the works of the flesh, aren't you? Galatians chapter 5. You are battling dissension, division. You, you have broken relationships somewhere in your life. If you don't have them yet, you will have them. And difficult people. And loving those people feels almost impossible to you this morning. Most days you face the choice of whether you will sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit in those relationships. Sowing to the flesh means putting just another brick on the wall of that division, building it higher, doing what you can to keep the distance between you and that person. Maybe, maybe it looks like sowing the seed of a text you send that just keeps the distance growing, or not sending a text. What does it look like to sow to the Spirit? John says to us, it looks like this. I copy God's love by bleeding, by dying, by beginning, 
by sending a text that says to that person, let's talk. I think we should talk. Let's revisit. Isn't it true you sow to the Spirit by dismantling the works of the flesh? All the things in Galatians 5, all those things that are destructive, all those things that, that come to us naturally. It's the difference, isn't it? It's works of the flesh, it's what we do, and fruit of the Spirit is what God does. Oh, brothers and sisters, may God help us this morning. I don't know what it looks like for you. I have several concrete ways I know it looks like for me. Several seeds I know I can drop into the ground that are acts of love that in God's kindness might bear more fruit than maybe I can ever hold. May God help us to love by bleeding, by dying, by beginning. And so in turn, may He assure us that we are His and He is ours. Amen.